Bibles this morning, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me tell you a little story of a young, uh, young man who was reciting his first big recital. It happened in London Hall. The music was actually brilliant, and the stage was electric, and people were standing, cheering, standing ovation. The stage manager, of course, urged him to go back out to, you know, to acknowledge his uh, abilities and maybe to present an encore, and, you know, he, he wouldn't go. So the manager kept insisting, and he said, the entire audience is standing and clapping for you. And the young man said, no, not everyone is standing. There's a gray-haired man in the balcony who's still seated. So the manager looked out and looked at him, and he said, yeah, you're right, but everybody else is standing. Why don't you go out there? He makes no difference. Don't worry about him. Just go back out there. And the young pianist replied, yeah, but he's my teacher. So young or old, it's really interesting how certain people have amazing weight in our life. We look for their affirmation. We look for their approval. And it's true in all of our lives that as a young person, and as even I've noticed it as we age and become middle-aged, even older people have longed for the approval of their father. It's the truth. You know, some people strive all of their lives to somehow succeed in life, to, to gain or merit or earn that affirmation and that approval in their life. And I think sometimes, uh, sometimes the heart of rebellion in a young child is really the ability wanting that affirmation or attention of a father, and they're doing it in a, a deviating sort of pattern. Now, I'm not suggesting that all uh, rebellion is a result of a, a young person, you know, being neglected by their parents, because I don't think that's true. And I think the story of Adam and Eve in the garden certainly reveals to us that they had a perfect parent in a perfect environment, and they still rebel. So we can't attribute all rebellion to bad parenting, all right? That would be a bad thing to do. But I think it's important to understand as parents that we have a power to speak words of affirmation and blessing in the life of our children. And a lot of people are doing ministry or serving to attain approval. You know, they're, to attain affirmation. They're doing it for affirmation rather than from affirmation. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that because when you and I are operating in a place of ident- the right identity and the right security and, the, and we have affirmation in our lives, we can actually overcome all kinds of challenges that come our way. And so we're going to look at that today in the life of Jesus. We're going to go right back to the very beginning when Jesus begins his ministry. And we're going to look at three, three events in their chronological order that I believe will help us understand how Jesus could overcome temptation and rejection without being you know, defeated and discouraged. How many here would like to say, I want to learn to live in victory? I want to rise above discouragement. I don't want to, even if I experience personal rejection in my life, I'm so secure in who I am, I can actually rise above that and continue forward in my life. And so we're going to look at this amazing uh, stretch of, of stories here about Jesus. Now, Jesus is about to experience some of the greatest challenges in his early ministry. And we're going to look at First of all, the temptation in the wilderness, and then eventually the rejection of his ministry by his own family members and his townsfolks. And I mean, that's got to be a terrible blow to a young person starting out. And yet, we know that Jesus faced those situations undeterred. He continued on doing his ministry because he knew who he was, and he knew what he needed to do. And I think you and I can learn from that experience in, in, in our 
in his life so we can apply it to our lives. And I think what we can discover from these three events are three elements that can empower our lives as believers. And I want to look at those briefly today. So the first one, you know, the first element that's going to empower us so that we can overcome temptation, so we can overcome rejection. And, and those are powerful, painful things in life. Is first of all, the word of blessing and affirmation from the Father. Do you know, when Jesus starts out, what, do you, what was the first episode here is the story of Jesus' baptism. And what we realize is the Father is going to speak powerful words of affirmation into his life that I think sets him up so that he can overcome what's about to happen. So Jesus did not struggle with identity issues in his life. How many know that's true? He knew who he was. As a matter of fact, when you read in John 13 when he's washing the disciples' feet, John tells us he knew who he was. It's all about identity. It's so important that we have a, a, a proper understanding of who we are and where, our, where the source of our identity is coming from. Uh, and Jesus also knew what he needed to do. He understood his purpose. He understood you know, where he came from and where he was going. And I think a lot of people in our culture, they don't know where they originated from. They don't know why they're here and they don't know where they're going. And so you know, every bump on the road becomes a major catastrophe in their life. But I think when we settle these bigger issues, we can handle all the other issues of life. Uh, so first of all, uh, as we're reading God's word, which is his love letter to us, we can have the same quiet confidence, I believe, that Jesus had here in, his, in these stories. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 3. We'll pick it up there, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, isn't that neat? So Jesus is hearing the voice of the Father speaking powerful words of affirmation. How many see that? Do you know, it's interesting, and I've read the Bible a lot in the course of my life. I keep seeing this pattern emerge over and over again. And I'm in Genesis right now. We're at the beginning of the year. We're starting Bible reading. And I'm noticing these patriarchs, these older saints, they take time to speak words of blessing over their children. How many notice that? You know, at the end of their life, they're always speaking a word of blessing. And it seems like these blessings are so powerful because when Esau could not receive his blessing from his father, he got so distraught. He was crying. If some of you might recall the story. Jacob had kind of deceived uh, his father Isaac into giving the blessing he was going to give to Esau to him instead. So there's this big issue about the blessing. You ever pick that up? So you always have these issues, you know, and then later on Jacob gives a blessing for every son in his family. He had 12 sons. He gave them all a blessing. How important were those words that were spoken over their lives? So let's take a look here uh, at some of the truths that we find just from this first, first ev uh, event in the life of Jesus. So what are, what are some of the things we can learn from these, uh, this text that's going to empower our lives? Well, first of all, we find out that Jesus is following the will of God. He's getting baptized. Now you think about this. You know, John the Baptist is pretty insightful. He goes, hey, wait a minute. Uh, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. So he's pointing this out to Jesus because, 
Now, he, he recognizes Jesus as a unique person. And we find that in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. But John tried to deter him. In other words, stop him from doing this. He says, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? I need to be baptized you. And this is what Jesus says. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Now, the word righteousness has, has more than one meaning. And Paul uses the word a little differently than Matthew does. But let me give you the meaning that I think should be put here. He, you know, he's, he's saying to fulfill, it's, it's the right thing to do. If we're a righteous person, we are in a right standing with God. But right people, right people, people in the right standing with God also do the right things. And Jesus is doing the right thing. He knows he needs to model a pattern because he's also modeling for us how to live our lives. And we're to live in obedience to God. And so Jesus starts out by just doing the right thing. This really does empower our lives. You know, there's a lot more affirmation comes to people when they do the right thing than when they do the wrong thing. I mean, you know that's true, you know? And sometimes we want to just affirm people without them doing anything. Now, I think it's important that we affirm people because of who they are in relationship to us. But then I think it's also important we affirm people when they do the right thing. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's good that we affirm people. I think our culture is learning this. We're really getting better at affirming things, but we're affirming everything. So when somebody does the wrong thing, we keep affirming them. That's not good, you know. We can't keep doing that. That's just going to affirm them to do the wrong thing. No, Jesus was doing the right thing. Then I notice in this text, well, let me just say that. I think the first lesson in being a son or daughter of God is to walk in obedience. Jesus did that. I think there's a powerful sense, as I've said, of affirmation when we do what God's asking us to do and we're fulfilling his purposes for our life. But let me move on to the second one, is the value of prayer. It says, while Jesus was praying, heaven opened. Isn't that neat? You know, I, I don't, you know how significant this statement really is? Let me go back to the Old Testament and give you an idea. Do you realize that under the Old Covenant, when the Israelites disobeyed God, God says, I'm going to close the heavens. They're going to be like brass to you. There's going to be no rain. There's going to be no blessing, okay? But you know, when you and I are in a right relationship with God, we have an open heaven. And that just means it's a picture to show us that when we're communicating in an open heaven, we're getting through to God. It's just like there's this beautiful communication going on. And you can see that Jesus is praying, and then all of a sudden the Father answers. This is my Son in whom I love, and I'm well pleased with him. Wow, is that an amazing thing? So, you know, if we're going to walk in affirmation, I think it also speaks of walking in communication, that we're in relationship with God. There's an open heaven so that we're communicating with God here. As a matter of fact, the real purpose of prayer, how many know the real purpose of prayer isn't just to get what we want? That's what some of us think. You know, we get down to pray, we have a list. You know, God, I need this, God, I need that. It's almost like we go on a grocery list. Isn't that true? Here's my needs, God. Can you please do this? And I don't think God gets upset because, you know, he knows that, you know, we need help. I need lots of help. You know, I'm asking for things all the time. But really, the essence of prayer is simply to bring us, is to, to help us become filled with the presence of God. That's really the essence of praying. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Where do you come up with this idea from? From the Bible. The Bible teaches this. You say, where does it teach that? Listen, Jesus is talking about prayer in Luke chapter 11. He says this, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if you ask a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So he's asking for something he needs, and all of a sudden the father's going to give him something terrible? He goes, that's ridiculous. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, it's interesting. He doesn't talk about give, you know, the, Maser- you know, the, the, the you know, Corvette or, you know. You see what I'm getting at? I mean, that's kind of how we think. You know, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm asking for these things. No, what he's saying here is, and he hasn't brought this to, to our attention throughout this chapter. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit till this moment. In other words, what God is saying is when you and I are praying, our greatest need is for God himself. And you know, a lot of times we don't recognize it, but that's the truth. And that's what prayer does. Prayer brings God's presence into our lives in a very powerful way. And that is really, really incredibly important. What, we, what we're going to eventually discover is that our greatest need is actually for God himself. Everything else is a false substitute. If we put other things ahead of God, that becomes idolatry to us. And what that does is, it, you know what? Idols never satisfy us. They always, we always forfeit the grace that could be ours, the book of Jonah tells us. It's always a, a diminishment of ourselves. Because if we make a goal, anything but God in our lives, we're going to be dissatisfied with it, ultimately. We'll initially be happy, and then it'll be empty. And we'll be hunting for something to satisfy our soul. So God knows our greatest need is for himself. And I think children teach us this better than anybody else. You see, when you're a little child, I'm talking little, like two and a half. I was with my grandson yesterday. He just wants to be with us as people. He's not interested in all the things. He wants us. Isn't that beautiful? So he plays with us. He runs to us. He hugs us. He comes to us. You know, we're the focus, not the things. You know, that's so powerful. See, I think sometimes as we get older, we get distracted by the things. And then we neglect the relationship. And, and really what the pursuit should be is for God himself. Listen to how the psalmist expresses it. Psalm 42, he says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. How many get a sense that what he's describing is this thirst for God? See, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Does this sound like somebody who's like, oh, I got to do my devotions this morning? No, it sounds like somebody who's eager to meet with God. Somebody who's, you know, is cultivating a relationship with God and is excited about meeting with God. How many know when you're first First courting somebody, there's an eagerness to be with that person. At least I remember that when I was dating Patty. I wanted to spend as much time with her as I possibly could. Anybody else have that problem? You know? Isn't that amazing how that happens? You know, we just want to spend all our time with this person. That's why I married her. I just enjoyed being in her presence. And even today, she says, I'd rather be with you than anybody else. I said, thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. You know, that's her heart cry. See, that's healthy. That's what it's about right? You know, Psalm 62, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. You know, here we are looking to find some sort of satisfaction or enjoyment. No, it it comes in God alone. 63, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. 
Does anybody get a sense there's a little intensity here in passion? Anybody pick that up? You see, that's what, and, and that's what prayer does. Prayer gets us into God's presence. Prayer is the acknowledgement and awareness of the presence of God. The third lesson from Christ's baptism is our need for God, the Holy Spirit, to come to us. It said, and then the Spirit of God came upon him. Do you know, nothing other than God will really satisfy the longing of our soul. You know, the great need today, you know, people are looking for their soul to be satisfied. And we many times look for it in relationships. And I think a lot of our sexual promiscuity is really a distortion of our longing for intimacy. (coughs) Excuse me. The real cry is for connectedness to occur, for intimacy of soul and spirit. And it begins in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. You want to just give me that bottle of water? (coughs) Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Jan. Sorry, I got a tickle in my throat. It won't go away. (coughs) Pardon me. Okay, the fourth lesson from this event is the words of the Father. This is probably the key of my sermon. This is my focal point. This is what I want you to hear. All those other things are important. But I want you to hear the the response of God to Jesus. This is the part we need to get if we're going to really get healed in our lives. So what does the Father do? He speaks into the life of his Son. And I believe that that's true in all of our lives. As sons and daughters, we long to hear the words of affirmation and approval, even from our earthly father. It's really amazing. We'll strive for that. And I believe the reason why that's there is because deep down inside of us, it's built into the human DNA. And the human DNA longs for the approval of God the Father. That's really what it is. We think it's a cry for approval from our earthly father, but reality is it's actually the cry of the human soul for the father in heaven's approval. Is that a neat? Now watch what he does. What does the father do? He speaks to the son. And uh, he says, you're my son. And I really believe that when you and I surrender our lives to Christ, we need to have this experience somewhere in our soul that we know I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm God's daughter. I'm God's son. He loves me and he's pleased with me. And I'm not trying to serve him to get his approval. I'm serving because I have his approval. I'm not serving to, you know, for affirmation. I'm, serve, you know, I'm serving from affirmation. It's all the difference in the world. So, and, and what happens is when we're serving from affirmation, it changes the way we serve okay what happens when we come into Christ's family well before we were in another family really yeah we were actually in the family of the enemy we had the father of lies as our father remember that it's Jesus says that in John chapter 8 he's the enemy of our soul he works at destroying our identity how does he do that you and I who are created in the very image of almighty God the heavenly father but through sin we begin to mar that image and sin demeans us and it depreciates our dignity as children of God and we begin to lose respect for ourselves and for others. And it's amazing when you recapture that, that all should start coming back the other way. You know, we become insecure. We try to find security in what we do rather than who we are. See, we're trying to find that sense of security in what I'm doing, you know, And listen, it's not about what you're doing, it's who you are. That really makes the difference 
So I think some of us today, we need to hear those words of affirmation. We're going to have a time at the end of the service where we're going to devote a blessing and words of affirmation into your life. Let me move on to the second element that will empower our lives. The first one is blessing and affirmation from the Father. The second is the ability to overcome temptation. When we are walking in our true sense of identity as a Christian, I know who I am in Christ. When I'm secure in that, I can overcome temptation. Why do people get defeated by temptation? I'll tell you, probably the major reason is we're not satisfied in our current condition, so we end up doing something wrong. See, if you're totally content, it's hard to tempt you. But if you're discontented, it's easy to tempt you, okay? And so that's why Paul says, I've learned the secret to be content in any and every circumstances. So how can you be content when you're in bad circumstances, Pastor? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked that question. Here's the answer. Because I'm secure in my relationship with God, and so circumstances are not defining my life. My relationship with God defines who I am. I think there's nothing more exciting for a child of God than to overcome areas of temptation that used to defeat them in the past. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? How many here say, you know what, it really is exciting when I win instead of lose. How many like winning over losing? Does everybody like winning over losing? I like winning over losing. That's my nature. I like to win. I want to I win in this Christian life. I want to overcome in every area in my life. I want to walk and live in victory and not live in defeat. Right? It's a lot easier to live as a Christian in victory than it is to live as a child of God and I'm defeated all the time. Because then I'm, I feel bad and I live under accusation and condemnation. Isn't that true? But you know what? We want to eliminate all that. We want to live in victory today. We want to experience the joy of victory. And we know that Jesus was never defeated. How many know that? Jesus was never defeated in temptation. The Bible says he was tempted, yet he did not sin. Jesus lived a sinless life. Wow, he always won. And I'm going to argue that one of the primary reasons he always won was because he knew who he was. He had a good sense of his identity. He didn't have to prove anything. You say, how do you know this? Because take a look at uh, what happens in the temptation story here in the fourth chapter of Luke. We're moving further into the second episode. The devil comes to him and he says... The devil says to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Now, I could preach on, you know, the priority, have our, our priorities right, you know, put the spiritual things over the material things. But I think something far deeper is happening in the story. Notice the temptation is simply based on identity. Have you noticed it? If you're the son of God, do this. What does Jesus do? I don't need to prove anything. I know who I am. How many know when you're a little kid, people taunted you? Hey, hey, you know, go do this thing, you know. If you're really tough or you're really this or really that, they taunt you to go do something. And most of the times you did the stupid things because you were what? Trying to prove yourself. Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Now, my point is, when you are secure, you go, I don't need to do that. I don't need to prove how tough I am. I don't need to prove how smart I am. I don't need to prove anything. I know who I am. See, Jesus didn't do it because he knew he was the son of God. He didn't have to prove it to the devil. Then the devil leads him to Jerusalem. This is the third temptation and has him stand at the highest point of the temple. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. The angels will take care of you. Jesus goes, you don't test God. I don't need to prove anything. 
See, he knew who he was. He understood his identity. And we need to understand that. So the question is about identity. Are you really, the devil comes and says, are you really God's son or daughter? You got to settle this thing. It's real simple. Did I give my life to Christ? And if I did, then I'm a child of God. I'm trusting in Christ and not myself for eternal salvation. I'm trusting in Jesus. Then you are a child of God. That's your identity. Wow. Because the enemy will say, are you really say, Look at how you're behaving. You know, victory comes not because I've got it all together, but because I'm trusting Christ. Isn't that neat? It says, listen, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our... Okay. And let me, let me apply it. Our faith is our trust in God, right? Our faith is our trust in Christ. Well, you say, Pastor... You know, I believe in God, but I don't feel it. You know, well, that, that's got a lot of people camped there. You know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm a child of God. Well, okay, it's nice to feel it. But even if you don't feel it, are you trusting Christ? You go, oh, yeah, I'm trusting Christ, but I don't feel it. Well, yeah, but it doesn't say here, this is the victory that overcomes the world even when I feel it. When I feel I've got faith. It doesn't say that. It says, no, I'm trusting Christ. You see, we're not basing it on our emotions. Because some of us, our whole life has been governed by our emotions. Can you know your emotions are all over the place? How many, how many know sometimes I go, why do I even feel this way? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Anybody else ask that question besides me? Why do I feel this way? That's my emotions. I don't know why. But here's the deal. If I, if I listened to my emotions, I'd be all over the place. You know, sometimes you got to talk to yourself. You go, and I, I preached that last week. How many remember that? You talk to yourself, you can answer back. If you were here, remember that whole conversation? Some of you go, I don't know about you, Pastor. That's okay. Listen to what the scriptures teach. If you have faith, you have victory. You know, first of all, I just tell it very simply. I'm his child, then he is my Father. But here's what you need to understand. Everything I need is in him. So if I need victory today, I say to myself, Jesus, you are my victory. You are my righteousness. You are my holiness. You say, well, no, but pastor, you know, Jesus is holy, but I'm not always holy. I'm just going, no, no, no. Jesus is my holiness. My trust is in you, Lord. You know, I'm not looking to me to be good enough. I'm looking to you. You are good enough. I'm not focusing on myself. That's probably our greatest disappointment in life. We're looking at the wrong place. Usually what we do is look at ourselves. Gets us in all kinds of trouble. Why don't we look away from ourselves and look up to Christ and begin to say, you're my shield, you're my defense attorney. How many here say, I need a little defense today. Jesus, would you stand in for me? Lord, I'm discouraged. Could you give me a little comfort today? Lord, whatever need that I have today, you're, you're the solution to my problem. You're the answer to my problem. Do I need healing today? You're my healer. Do I need redemption or salvation? today, you're my savior. Do I need financial provision? Lord, you are my provider. Lord, I need protection today. You are my protector. How many are catching on? He's what I need. And we got to start thinking differently. It makes a big difference. But what do we tend to do? We look at ourselves. We look at our bank account. We look at our relationships. We look at the problems. And all it does is bring despair in our lives. True? That's what it's doing. 
You know, I tried to bring that out last week. Why don't we stop looking there and start looking up and saying, okay, Lord, here's the challenge, but we're in this together. I'm your kid. You know, if my kids came to me and said, hey, I've got a problem, you know, I would try to help them. And I'm not even God. Hello? So why are we, you know, you got, you got a, the greatest resource person in the world. You just come to him and say, I'm Lord, I'm your kid. How many know when you're somebody's kid, whoever you're a kid to, it works out okay. If your kid's to Bill Gates and he walk up and say, Father, I need a little money and I'm, I don't know what to do. You know, I think Bill Gates has the resources to do something. He owns Microsoft, by the way, if you didn't know that. He's a rich guy, you know. Well, you, you have a father that's even richer than Bill Gates, and he's even nicer than Bill Gates. And I'm not saying Bill Gates is not nice. I'm just pointing something out to you. We've got to start thinking differently. You know, I will trust him at all times. You know, I'm quoting the scripture there, by the way. Times when I don't understand what's going on. Times when things don't seem to be working out as I think they should. But I'm going to trust you, Lord. I don't get it. I don't understand. But I'm going to trust you. Because this is a test. You know what? And I'm going to overcome. I'm going to be victorious in this test because I'm going to just trust you. I'm going to just watch what you're going to do. If I'm supposed to do something, you tell me, God. You know? When I am afraid, I'm going to put my trust in you. When I'm anxious, I'm going to put my trust in you. When I'm discouraged, I'm going to put my trust in you. How many are catching on? It's all about trusting God no matter what situation I'm in. The enemy comes, the enemy challenges God's word, he challenges God's character, he challenges God's goodness. We have to expect that. If God's so good, the enemy says, why this, why now? If you're really God's child, what does it seem that he's abandoned you? Can you hear the challenge to our confidence to both God's goodness and love towards us and his relationship to us? But if I am secure in my identity in Christ and I know I'm his child, then I will not be defeated by these kind of insinuations against my life. We need to know that. We need to understand it's not how well we are doing, but in whom we are trusting. So stop looking at yourself. Are you catching? How many are catching on? I'm getting this, Pastor. This is, this is coming through. Is it coming through? I'm praying it's coming through. Okay. Now what happens? Why did the Spirit of God lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tested? Because testings are a refinement to our character. Well, we already know Jesus didn't need that refinement, but he's an example. He's showing us how to win. He knew the word of God. He quoted the word of God. He stood on the word of God. Remember, I preached one sermon not too long ago. You have to stand up against evil. And after all of that stuff, when Jesus left the wilderness and he went past the temptations and he overcame and he was ministered to by angels, listen to what it says in Luke's gospel, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Something happened to him. He had an experience after that challenge and knew the power of the living God. And so some of us, all we know is the word of God, but we've not experienced that word and it doesn't change anything. But when you and I walk through that difficult time, we gain the experience of it. And now there's a power that comes into our lives. We have confidence in God and we're able to share what we've learned with other people. Let me move on to my third point. And the problem is I didn't write it down in my PowerPoint, but I have it in my notes. You might not want to write it down. Here it is. 
The third and final element that will empower our lives is the ability to persevere in spite of human rejection. Persevere in spite of human rejection. You want to write that one down. Everybody get it? Perseverance in the face of human rejection. How many know it's painful when the people that you love the most out of the closest to you are rejecting you? And most people just crumble under that. Isn't that true? For every person who overcomes the temptation of the wilderness are those who are defeated by the assaults coming from human offense and rejection. I can tell you over all these years as a pastor how many people have taken offense and have quit coming to church. I'm going to start writing their names down. It's a ton. You and I can be so easily offended. I get so upset about this person, so set up about what they said. We're so affected by what the people around us are saying. Do you know if that was the case in my life, I'd quit being a pastor a long time ago? That's the truth. You have to make up your mind. Who are you serving? You know, I love you guys, but I'm serving God. What's the difference, pastor? Because when you do something stupid, I don't get upset. I just forgive you and still love you. How's that? You say, why do you do that? Because God does. And I want to be just like him. See, my goal in life is when I grew up, I want to be just like him. And that's what he's like. So I'm going to copy him, right? One of my heroes in the faith is a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Anybody ever heard of him? American theologian and pastor. He was part of the Great Awakening. He had five revivals in his church. Is this amazing? You know, in a town of about, I don't know, 300 people, or just about 1,000 people, 300 people got saved. That's about a third of his town. I mean, really got saved. I mean, they had a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. Church was full. You know, he was there for a long time. His grandfather pastored that church for almost 50 years. Then he took it over. He was there for a long time. But one person went after him. It was his cousin, his first cousin. And told a whole bunch of lies about him. And then eventually got the church against him. And uh, they voted him on him to retain the pastorate. And he got voted out 230 to 23. 10 to 1 against him. You know, so he ended up leaving. And, he went, and you know what? That, a lot of people would have quit then. That's it. I've done it. I've spent all this time doing all these good things for people. And this is the way they treat me, right? You know? Sure, that could have happened. So how does a person go on? How can a person not become bitter and disillusioned by the whole thing? The issue is one of security and identity. If we're secure in our relationship with God and understand who we are in Him, regardless of how people treat us, we're going to continue to serve Him. Edwards went on to minister to Native Americans and then eventually was elected a president. I think it was Yale, but he died before he took office. Now let me just share this. Here's Jesus going to his hometown, right? These are not big. These are villages. Everybody knows everybody in town. They knew Jesus. And his brothers, he had half-brothers, right? Mary and Joseph had kids after him. Can you imagine, you know? I just watched a funny YouTube video about this, you know? What would Jesus do? Can you imagine being James, his next older boy? You know, did you see that one? That's so funny, you know? Why can't you be more like Jesus, right? <laughs> How can you live up to Jesus, really? You know, you never sin, right? It's a tough job, anyways. Watch it, you'll love it. It's on YouTube here. What would, what would the brother of Jesus, what would G, James do? It's really funny. But here, Jesus gets up, 
And he starts preaching. Verse 22, Luke 4, it says, All spoke well of him. We're amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, and when the sky was shut for three and a half years, no, closed heaven, right? And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, you know, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. In other words, this is a non-covenant person. And then there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, and they got up and they drove him out of town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. Now, I've been to Nazareth. I've been to that cliff. This is not, you know, a 12-foot drop, folks. This is like hundreds and hundreds of feet. It's terrifying. You're seeing the Valley of Armageddon below you. It's really scary. They're going to throw him down there. He would have died. Now, how many go, that's a nice reaction. These are the people you grow up with in town. Now, remember something. You say, well, Jesus provoked them. I said, hold it. Jesus only said what the Father told him to say and only did what the Father told him to do. He was just following the Father's orders. He's explaining to them, this is the way it is. And these guys got so upset with him, they're going to kill him. These are the people. He's related to some of them. Now, how many say, well, it's gonna, I'm just going to want to do my ministry and I'm just going to wipe my feet and go somewhere else and do my ministry? Well, that's what he did. How many go, that, you have to be a very secure person to be able to walk away from that. And not to just say, forget it, I'm quitting. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be involved in ministry. This is way too difficult. No, Jesus knew who he was and he knew what he needed to do. And he went and did it. Is that powerful? It, yeah, you bet it's powerful. Okay, so how could Jesus walk away and start over again somewhere else? He knew he was loved by the Father. He knew he was the Father's son. He knew he was doing the Father's will. Jesus didn't need the approval or affirmation of men because he had it from his Father. He was secure in his identity. That's powerful. We've got to get to this place. I've got to say this again. We've got to get to this place. We need to have in our minds that we have the affirmation of and understand that we're a son or a daughter of God, we have the affirmation, the approval of God so that we can do what God's asking us to do. That's what we need. Otherwise, we're not going to do it. We're going to get, you know, we're going to run into all kinds of trouble. So let me close. Closing a little early today. You're surprised by this, but I'm doing this on purpose because we're going to have a chance to minister. We're going to receive in a moment here. Often I think we fail in the moments of temptation because we've not settled the issue of identity. We're insecure. We don't understand what God the Father has done to, for us through the work of Christ on the cross. The reason why we quit serving others is that people may criticize or reject us. It's painful. That's one of the great reasons why so many believers are living defeated, unfruitful lives. We are looking to ourselves, to our wisdom and our abilities, and when we realize they're not enough, we quit, we falter, and we fail. I think God wants to change that. How many think God wants to change that? How many here say, you know what, Pastor? I struggle with affirmation. I, got, I, I struggle with approval. We're going to stand. I'm going to close with the story. It's really interesting. The superintendent of a school in California decided to do an experiment, so she 
called three teachers in and she said, you guys are the finest teachers in our school district. We're going to give you 90 of the smartest kids and we're going to just give you every opportunity to just do whatever you need to do to move them forward and let them learn at their speed. At the end of the year, these students were like 20 to 30% ahead in all the academic scoring ahead of all the districts in her region. She says, I have to tell you a secret. She said, I didn't tell you the full truth. The kids we gave you, they weren't the smartest and brightest. They were actually picked at random. Well, the teachers felt good about themselves. Man, look what we did with these average kids. We made them the top kids in our whole school district in grades. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, you weren't the top teachers either. We just picked you at random. But when people actually believe, it's amazing what they can do. You see, they believed that they were the smartest, and so they moved up to it. See, we need to be affirmed, and you know, God does do that. It's amazing all the promises and affirmation He gives to us in the Scripture. And that's why we should be, you know, giants in the land. We should be the people that are impacting our culture. But you know why we don't do it? Because we've heard the words of the enemy saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And we listen to those words rather than the words of God. And we don't take those words of affirmation and approval. And then we get defeated. That's it. So I'm going to do something here this morning. You know, I commissioned all of the people in my prayer teams this morning to come forward. I want you guys to quickly come. All the people that I prayed with this morning and asked you to come. We're going to pray a blessing over you today. We're going to pray blessings over you today. Now, these people are a little old. That's good because I want them to be a little older. And say they're old. I'm just a little older. Okay. But I think we need to have spiritual moms, spiritual dads. We need the blessing of believers who are older than us in the faith sometimes to come and pray for us. And how many here you say, you know what, I need, I, maybe I just never had that, those affirmation, affirming words from my father or my mother. I want you to come really quickly, right now, come. You need a word of affirmation and blessing in your life. It's so powerful, folks. Come right now. You've just not had this in your life you know, it's, I'm not, we're not picking on your, your parents for bad parenting skills, but I just want you to come today because we're, I'm going to pray for you all and these people are going to pray. Come really quickly and come right to the front. Come right to the front, guys. Come. A lot of people are going to come. Come on now. God is speaking to hearts. Come on. Keep coming right to the front. So I'm going to pray. Because you know what? I don't just see myself as a pastor. You guys don't know this. I see myself as a spiritual father. And I see myself as a father to you. You know, years ago, we had a lady in our church. She was older than me, and I was younger. And I just said to her, I'm your dad. She looked at me like, she laughed. thought it was funny. I said, but you know what? In all of your life, all you've had is men who've abused and misused you. And I'm your dad. And that comes to an end right now. All you're going to get from me are words of affirmation and encouragement. And I blessed her. And uh, she served God all the days of her life. Isn't that neat? And she was so broken. I'm going to tell you, she was so broken. But she served God, and I did her funeral. And, And you know what? Even when I moved to the States and when I came back, she said, Paul, she would send me a birthday card on my birthday every year. 
And she prayed for me every day because she saw me as her spiritual father. That is so powerful, folks. We need that in our lives. We need to know that we are loved. Isn't that true? And you don't have to do something to get love. You are loved by your Father in heaven. And you need to hear that today. And you need to know that he's pleased with you and that he wants to bless you today. And he wants you to serve him, not to gain his approval. You already have it. You don't have to get some. You're not, you're not going to serve to get approval. You're going to serve from approval. You're not going to try to get affirmation. You're going to serve from affirmation. Huge difference. Because now you're not serving in insecurity. You're serving from security. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. It's so freeing. Then you can be free to do just what the Father wants you to do. He says, listen, I just want you to take a cold cup of water to your neighbor. To you, that's the most important assignment. Do you think the angels in heaven worry about what their assignments are? To them, it doesn't matter. You can ask one to shine somebody's shoes and another to part the Red Sea. And they go, equally is important to them. Because when God asks you to do something, that's his will. So now, Lord, I pray today. You know, I really believe there's more of you. There's more of you that do not feel affirmed in your life. There's more of you. How many here can honestly say, my father prayed a blessing over me? Raise your hand. How many here? My father prayed. Okay, the rest of you, you should be up here right now. I'm going to pray a blessing over you as God's children. You come right now, quickly, 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 quickly. I want to, I want to close on time, quickly. We're going to pray right now, a blessing over your life. Words of affirmation and blessing in your life. This is important. I believe healing is going to happen in your life. My prayer today is that you're going to come and encounter the true and the living God and experience transformation in your life. I'm not just interested in worshiping and singing songs and hearing sermons. I'm interested in you encountering the true and the living God. So let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray right now for every heart, every heart hearing these words, Lord, that you now are touching them right now and they're hearing your words of love and affirmation and approval in their life. And from this day forward, Lord, they're no longer going to seek for your approval because now they know they have it. They have your approval, Lord. They have your affirmation today. And Lord, they're going to begin to serve you out of that affirmation. They're going to be free from insecurity right now in the name of Jesus. You're going to break the bonds of insecurity, Lord. Help them to know that they're your child. They're your daughter. They're your son, oh God. And you love them and there's an open heaven. And you want to commune with them. And you want to work powerfully in their lives. And you want to work through their lives. Not because of something that they can do or gifted to do. But because of who you are and what you're able to do, Father. So I pray right now that you would release them. Lord, from all the insecurities and all of the uh, unbelief in their heart. Break the spirit of unbelief right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Help them to receive this by faith that you love them as your son and daughter, Father, and that you're going to use their lives, that you have a purpose for every life here. There's not one accident here. Every life You have a design. You have a purpose. Lord, help them to walk in your design and purposes. And we thank you for that right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. 
And I pray, Father, that transformation will ensue from this moment on, that people will move in emotional health. They'll move in spiritual health. They'll move, Lord, in a psychologically healthy pattern, O God, and begin to serve with great joy and great peace, and they will serve in rest and not in strife. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.